Welcome to the Speckled Truth Podcast. This is the only show dedicated to the conservation of the trophy trout population from the East Coast to the Gulf Coast. Here, we go below the surface to discuss what happens when science and anglers work together for a cause. So gear up with the crew as they talk about all things big speckled trout. Get ready for the slimy, salty truth, better known as the speckled truth. Hey everyone, Captain Chris here with Speckled Truth. So this is going to be a two-part episode with Captain David Rousey, and this is part one. So we really appreciate, one, your listenership, and then secondly, we appreciate all of our sponsors from Real Sportswear, Mirror Texas Custom Lures, Original Custom Corky, Down South Lures, and Carboline. And so just want to say thanks to them. It's been an awesome season, season two, and I hope you guys enjoy part one with Captain David Rousey. Take care. Amazing show today, not even going to lie. Uh, sitting right here in uh, Captain David Rousey's garage, looking at the man, the myth, and the legend. No. <laughs> I, I, was, I was waiting to say that. That way I could say that on the air uh, before you punch me in the face. <laughs> but obviously the voice you hear is Captain David Rousey. And uh, hey, before we get started, just want to say thanks and give a huge shout out to our sponsors uh, for the podcast, Texas Custom Lures, Original Custom Corky, uh, Real Sportswear, Down South Lures, as well as Carboline. Uh, with Miss Le- or Captain, or, yeah, Mr. Leroy Navarro. Without them, uh, obviously the show doesn't exist, but we really appreciate it. And this one's actually the season finale of season two. And and last year we had you know none other than Mr. Paul Brown, and we wanted to end it on a super high note again with another again person who's super unanimous for or for big speckled trout, and that's uh, Captain David Rousey. So David, hey, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. I know it's taken us a while to get here, but uh, we're finally getting it done. The funny thing is, is do you remember when we had this scheduled? Uh, right, bef- yeah. right, right before, before Snowmageddon. Right I know. before the freeze. And we'll get into that. But, yeah, we're, it was actually that Wednesday, and I still debated driving down here just because it was you. And you're like, if you drive down here, uh, yeah, you're an idiot. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. All right. So, finally, we were able to kind of get – on uh on each other's schedule and and i appreciate your time man i really do i really do glad to do it yeah so all right before so we have listeners from everywhere it's a a pretty standard question we ask all of our guests and that is you know tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from and how you got into fishing okay i'll try to give you the fast version Uh, i'm 52 years old i was born in louisiana no Uh, way i didn't know that yep and all my family's still in Louisiana, all my birth family, I should say. I, uh, I was blessed with two grandfathers that are very hardcore fishermen. Both are deceased. Uh, my grandfather on my dad's side was a huge striper fanatic with big, huge, foot-long topwaters. Mm-hmm. Used to love to fish at the spillway or the, the white water under Lake Darbone out west of, east of Monroe, I believe. Yeah, okay. And uh, he used to drag me out there, you know, as a kid, four, five years old, four o'clock in the morning, and I'd watch him just master these stripers. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he had some records, and I can't remember exactly what they were, um, but he was really well known for catching stripers on huge topwaters. Yeah. That was his gig. And my uh, my mother's father, Lejeune Moras, was from down around the Black River, and he was a fly fisherman, mm-hmm. and uh, spent a many a day in the bayous with him, fly fishing as That's a kid, cool. and um, 
he ended up moving from our family farm and um, um, moved close to a little town called Jonesville in Louisiana, mm -hmm. kind of across the river from Natchez, Mississippi, where my mom and sister and I ended up moving to as a kid before we got to Texas. And uh, we were having a crawfish bowl or fish fry one day and there was a bunch of family there and I was literally like seven years old and uh, had to cross a blacktop. And as you walk across the blacktop, there was a bayou over there. And uh, I don't know if you'd call it a creek or a small river or something ran through there. I don't recall exactly what it was. And uh, I didn't know what a white bass was, but they were running at the time. Mm -hmm. And I went over there with a little, probably a Zebco, and uh, I was in a hook, and I think I had some, like, white bread or something, yeah. you know, was using for bait. I was just trying to catch something. I'm a seven-year-old kid. And this, I remember this father and son came walking down the bank, and they were just dragging these stringers full of what we called barfish, and I think they're called white bass. I think it's the same thing. And I was just mesmerized, you mm -hmm. know, little seven-year-old, long-haired, blonde-headed, toe-headed kid. And, um um, you know, I was being a little kid, I was asking them a million questions, you right. know, no filter, just blah, 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 blah. And, uh, both the father and the son cut their little bucktail hair jigs off and gave them to me. So that was like my first experience to ever throw a lure. And I literally sat there in that Creek and filled up my stringer to the point where I had to go get help to bring it across the street. And uh, my uncle, who was only like four years older than me, walked across the street and helped me. And I drug these fish back into this party of adults. And they were just like mesmerized. Yeah. <laughs> but that was literally the day I got hooked on fishing. No I kidding. mean, I was already doing it, but that was like the first time I tied my own lure on. And, uh, and that was the day that it just bit me hard. So, all right, let's fast forward then. So, and, and this is a question somewhat off script, if you will, but... Do you still have kind of that same zeal for fishing? In other words, like for me, look, if they're biting the next tap, I cannot get enough. Oh, I mean, absolutely. it is literally like a drug addiction, you know, it, yeah, just let's go. And so every tap, I mean, it's just fuels the next one and I can never get enough. And so, I mean, do you still have that kind of same zeal? Absolutely. Uh you know, I love to trick a fish into the thump. And as I tell many of my customers and friends, once I set the hook, I'm done. Right. You know, I just, I just, I love to trick them and I love to set the hook. At that point, I've got them, they're mine. Not that I land every fish, that's not what I'm implying, but I'm just saying for me, that's the, and it yeah. is, it's just a highlight. And you, or a lot of people may not know this about me, but I have a horrendous left shoulder from fishing i mean it, it hurts for me to fish okay. and but i of course i still do it and um and as much as my shoulder can be hurting at the end of the day when i get a hit it's like no holes barred yeah. man it's just Set i don't it. care what kind of pain i'm in i'm setting that hook and you know i still get crazy excited about it right so when did you get into trout fishing uh trout fishing came in the late 80s uh um the first time I trout fished, but keeping in mind that I grew up as a, a bass fisherman. And even once my mother remarried, we, we landed in Hunt, Texas, which is the headwaters of the Guadalupe River. And my stepdad, uh, I call him Croc, and he's really my dad, he raised me. Um, we lived on the North Fork of the Guadalupe. And my childhood best friend lived on 35,000 acres out there, and they had multiple lakes on the property. 
His dad was a wildlife biologist, a fellow named Gene Fox, like a second dad to me. And uh, and they had Florida strain bass in these lakes. And, and you know, all through my teens, I really fine-tuned myself as a lure fisherman. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first time I came down to fish this part of the coast, we walked in in the back of Baffin. And uh, funny story, we bought shrimp. And I was told we had to have shrimp to catch fish. So I was just, you know, I didn't care. I didn't know. Yeah. So we get out there and uh, with our buckets. And, uh, you know, we're not catching anything. And I keep seeing these mullet flip in the water. And I'm like, why aren't we at least catching those? I didn't know what a mullet was, you know. Yeah. And they're like, oh, no, that's what the fish eat. Well, I'm like, well, if that's what the fish eat, why don't they eat what's in my bass box that's sitting on the bank? Walk back up to the bank, tied on a bomber long A. Uh, not a broken back, regular stick bait, and immediately walked back out on some grass beds and hooked into a redfish, and I never caught one. That was my first, and just could not believe the power of that fish. Uh-huh. I was just, and when I got it in, it wasn't even a huge fish, you know, it was just yeah. a red, it was 23, 24-inch red, and, you know, I've caught bass, I've caught one bass over 10 pounds, and it fought as hard as any bass I've ever caught, not harder. And uh, throughout that day, <clears throat> talk about getting spoiled, uh, I think that day I ended up on that same bomber, bomber stick bait. I stuck two, over, two trout over seven. The first time first in the life. <laughs> and I'm like, huh, this is cool. And speeding it up a little bit, uh, quickly realized I started coming down more often. Um, and, you know, it got to the point where I was coming every weekend. And just walking in, didn't have a boat. And um, I quickly realized that the trout were very much like the bass I love to chase. And uh, so once I figured that out, it was just, it was a no-brainer. And, uh, you know, it just grew from there. The fish got bigger. And back then, there were a lot of big fish. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it wasn't uncommon to catch two, three, five, six 27 inch trout in a day back then i mean it's just and it it was like that for a long time and we'll get into the demise of that but uh uh you know it was like that for a long time you know at first i didn't think it was all that hard the more the more i thought about it and more time i put in it it seemed like the harder it got though yeah (laughs) but uh but i was lucky enough at first to get really hooked on it and uh you know it just it just kind of changed my life again i was spending all my time down here doing it and I learned my trade in San Antonio. I was a real estate appraiser for like 24 years. Uh, and once I became state certified, I could work anywhere in the state. Mm-hmm. I was driving down here a minimum of three weekends out of the month, if not four. And um, I got stuck in traffic on 410 one day and just threw my hands up and said, to hell with this, I'm going to where I want to be. And uh, on a whim, I moved to Padre Island and uh, had to sell my boat, if this makes any sense, had to sell my boat to be able to afford to move down here. And, uh, but it didn't take me long to acquire another one. And, uh, but I just, you know, after that, it just, I just went nuts. Yeah. And I just, you know, I was in my early 20s, and I just spent every waking moment on the water. And with the real estate appraisal, the way it worked, I could set up my schedules around the weather. You know, I could write appraisals at night. I wasn't a partier. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I could see I had a three hour window before a front hit at nine o'clock on a Tuesday and I was gone. You we, know, we're kin, we're kin in that capacity, right? Cause you know, I'm studying, I live in San Antonio, as you know, and 
I, I can definitely empathize with traffic on 410 every <laughs> damn day. <Yeah. laughs> I'm so so long in the tooth, you know, my military career that I'm to the point now where I got to stick it out, right, uh, yeah. for three more years and retire. But long live the day uh, where I can just be like, nope, I'm going fishing. But even now, empathizing with kind of journeys down here on the weekends and, you know, those two, three, sometimes four weekends a month, that's certainly what I try to do. But I also am super uh, observant of the weather every single weekend, every single week. I, I know what the weather's doing the entire week. So somebody at work asked me, hey, what, is this supposed to rain tomorrow? No, nah, i probably come through about 1 o'clock, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and typically if that's the case, and I'm probably going to ask for off because I want to try to catch that pre-front. But I can certainly empathize with that. But, yeah, we're definitely kin in that capacity of just understanding the weather in, in those little windows and everything else so that's pretty awesome now redfish a redfish was no kidding the the introduction to you and yeah, the salt that was water the world. introduction to saltwater and uh i knew they existed i knew trout existed I, you know but it just happened to be the first thing i caught yeah because your name is so synonymous with big trout right? well it didn't take me long I, I, yeah i mean you know like any guy that spends as much time on the water as i do you're going to catch a lot of redfish and i enjoy catching redfish i, I like catching everything um, but yeah, you know, back to me saying, because of my bass background, you know, the trout were so similar to it mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, they're very structure oriented. I, you know, I grew up working grass lines and ledges and <clears throat> so, excuse me. So that was just so natural for me. And it's probably one of the biggest things I try to teach clients is just reading structure. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, that's just like. You know, I'm like, guys, you make this too hard. You know, there's a black grass, there's white sand, there's an edge right there. And, but, you know, I've known how to do that since I was a kid. I was about to say, I mean, that came kind of second nature to yeah. you with that freshwater route. Uh, it takes a lot of people to just figure a simple concept out. Actually, it was a question that was posed to me, and I want to pose that to you on the podcast I did this past Friday, you know, on your approach. And so you've obviously fished you know tournaments and in various people and you've met so many you know legends of our of our sport here on the texas coast you know with regards to you and your approach when you're out there how are you approaching a, a certain day does that make sense or, or or what are some things that you kind of key in on does that make sense yeah i mean and in, listen, and in a kind of structure you know, your day. just again you know I, and I, I was there just like everybody else at one time, but fishing is really not hard mm -hmm. if you just take a few basic rules and, you know, keep them at the forefront of what you're going to do every day. Now, fishing with clients is different than when I was fishing by myself, mm -hmm. okay? Um, but what I'm getting at is, you know, every day I go out, you've just you got to have... Uh, general concept a general yeah. concept i mean you have water temperatures to consider uh you know in the winter time and i'm kind of referring to winter time trophy mm -hmm. fishing here um you've got to have something for them to eat you got to have a bait supply and you got to have structure and you know and if you got a combination those things and you have a combination of deep water and shallow water where they can move up into the shallow water and feed in the night and you catch them pulling out in the daytime and sometimes of course if it's warm and sunny and it's cold they're going to stay up there um, but you know that's that's the that's the easy answer is structure and bait i mean there are fish in every inch of this laguna 
and baffin and you know people get a mindset to where they're just going to go fish this spot it's a huge mistake in my opinion uh i typically used to leave really early in the morning just so i could get to where i wanted to go uh as a guide you know there's some liability in that now um and i still leave in the dark every morning but it's usually cracking light by the time mm -hmm. i hit baffin and there's so many people on the water now that there's typically somebody if they're not exactly where i want to go they're you know they're close enough to it that i'm not going to pull in on them mm -hmm. and so you know if 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 you um if you have the mindset that you're just going to fish spots i mean you're not going to be very successful at this i mean and you don't have to have spots chris as long as you've got the basics in your head of what fish need you know there's been i could give you a thousand examples of where I've pulled into the area, there's another boat, and I might shut my boat down and look around, and I'm like, well, you know, that's where I wanted to be, but good Lord, look at all the bait over here. <laughs> yeah. You know, did it move overnight? Let's jump out. And, you know, you watch over your shoulder, and those guys aren't catching anything, and you're just wearing them out. And, you know, it's just because they moved. Yeah. And you got to have an open mind about that every day. And, uh, you know, just as it's gotten more crowded out here, which is a subject I want to go into, yep. and we will later, I guess, but... Uh, you know, I uh, I fish some really strange things now, and and it's not water. It's not that it's water that I've never fished. It's just not water that I've spent as much time in as certain other areas, for multitudes of reasons. But uh, point being that I catch fish in all these areas. I mean, mm -hmm. there is no bullseye on a map for me. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm catching them on one spool island, I'm quite certain i'm gonna find them on another spool island when i think find the same scenario you know yeah. another good bait supplier or whatever but so lowell and he was actually talking about you and jay mm -hmm. watkins actually so we had dinner on friday and lowell actually said one of the most gangster things i've ever heard in my life <laughs> with regards to he he may or may not know it but he said if you have to rely on that spot to catch fish, then you were never good. You were never that good anyway. Yeah, no, it's a very true statement. Very true. And we were like, "Damn, that's wisdom right there." But it's that is well, it's the truth. I mean, there. Listen, back in the day, you know, the area that's known as Cathead, um, and I will give Doug Bird full credit for teaching me that spot. And it's not that he showed it to me out of a boat; it was a conversation where I told him something I'd found and. And, you know, as it turns out, that's where Jim Wallace's state record was caught. And for a long time, um, nobody fished that thing in the wintertime. And I just happened to be running by it one day in my scooter. And I'm, I'm drawing a story out here. But I was running by it in my scooter, saw a ton of bait. I made a drift through it. I didn't catch anything big, but I caught a ton of fish in one drift. I had my dad with me, and I was on a 14-foot Mountie scooter. And uh, Doug had a little tackle shop up here in the bluff at the time, and I told him about it, and he said, well, you need to explore that area more. He said, you need to get out and wait it. And, uh, and I was already fishing tournaments at that time, so Doug was, I'd already won some tournaments, so Doug knew I was a serious young angler, mm -hmm. and uh, so he was pretty open with me, and we made a real great friendship out mm -hmm. of that deal. And Anyway, I started fishing it in in the cold and i mean there was just never anybody around doug would come down and you know he'd be in his green lake and bay and there was a gray lake and bay that i would see down there didn't know who it was and uh one day i had a buddy of mine from kerrville in there and uh we we're just wearing them out i mean big fish i'm, I'm not exaggerating you mm -hmm. know we're catching 
26s to 30s, like no. every 10, 15 minutes we're hooking yeah. a fish like that. Yeah. And, uh, but that's what cathead used to be able to produce. It has, you know, it's, it's a great example of a spot that just too many people found out about. The fish don't act the same. But I got a, I know you did a, a deal with uh, Cliff, Cliff Webb. Yeah. But uh, I'll tell you a great story about Cliff, how Cliff and I met was at Cathead, and I was with his friend from Kerrville, and we were wearing those fish out. This gray lake and bay pulls up. He's got one guy on the boat, and uh, he parks between where I'm waiting and my boat. My boat was way up on the shoreline to, you know, just to, and he wasn't being a you right. know, rude or anything. There was you. a lot of water exposed there, and he pulled in, and, and they're fishing, and my buddy Jeff Kennedy and I are just smoking these fish, and his client's just steady walking to me. And, uh, and I keep looking over my shoulder because at that time I was absolutely the most paranoid angler in the world. I didn't want anybody with in the same – I didn't want them sucking the same air, yeah. period, you know. Yeah. And uh, this guy was getting a little too close, and uh, I was about to say something, and Cliff told that guy, he said, don't get any closer to that guy. And I didn't know it was Cliff. Mm-hmm. And he said, come back this way. There'll be fish over here. You know, and it was a calm morning. We could hear everything we were saying. And and uh, so the guy pulled back over. Well, I mean, we're just having this epic bite. And, you know, we're in neoprene waders. It's cold. And I've got to go to the bathroom extremely bad. And there's no shallow spot where we were. And as much as I hate to do it, i got to walk back to my boat, which is way beyond Cliff's boat. And I'm walking back, and Cliff goes, hey, he goes, are you giving up on that? And I said, no. I was like, I just, I'm, you know, about to yeah. wet myself. And he's like, well, just jump on my boat. And I said, hey, man, I appreciate that. Got up there, took care of my business. And whole time, Cliff's walking towards me. And uh, I jumped back out of his boat, and um, we introduced ourselves. And uh, and I certainly knew Cliff's name. I'd never met him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he said, oh, you're the young guy that's won those bash tournaments, huh? And I was like, yeah. You know, I was trying to be modest and, and – uh, so we just sat there, and Jeff, my buddy, who was a very good bass fisherman, his first time to saltwater fish, by the way, was okay. that day. Oh, wow. And he's just stroking them. <laughs> but he's a great bass fisherman. See the common theme here. Yeah. yeah. And so Cliff sat there. Cliff and I sat there and really got to know each other and him and hauled. And I walked back out to Jeff. The bike kind of turned off, and we left. But that was the first time I met Cliff was at that spot. And, and so literally myself, Doug, and Cliff were the only guys I used to. I'm sure there were other guys fishing it. And I know some old stories of some legendary guys that are long gone that used to fish it. But at that given time, you know, in the mid-90s, you know, we were like the... The pioneers. Ah, not pioneers. They were pioneers. I wasn't a pioneer. You know, I was just, you know. uh, But that spot, as Doug Bird told me, he's like, you know, in the right conditions in the wintertime, that's the best big trout spot on the Texas coast. And he was right. I mean... I had some unbelievable days there. I had a uh, your 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 close friend and good buddy Mike McBride was there with me one day, and I literally I didn't keep him of course, but I mean I had an eighty five pound stringer, you know, and it was yeah. a ten fish limit. Mike witnessed that, and uh, took a lot of pictures of me, and uh, uh, he actually wrote an article about that day. It was hilarious. And uh, can you share it? Huh? Can you share it? Yeah, I think it, it was funny. When we fished, I think you shared the same story. I, I may have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but it was good, um, it, and it, I think it speaks to, <laughs> to 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 Mike and maybe him overanalyzing a it, lot of things. It was definitely an overanalyzation day for Mike. Yeah, so go ahead, go ahead. I don't want to. So, um, 
I was on these fish uh, in, in Mike, true Mike fashion. He was supposed to fish with me the first day there, and he he flaked on me, didn't show up. <laughs> and <laughs> so I went down there and just I literally had a, a yeah. the first day by myself. I had the same kind of stringer, you know. And I'm, I'm laying them at the time. There weren't boga grips. We had a digital Berkeley digital skill right. that I kept in my waders, and you know I was weighing them on that, and I'm just trying to keep track of all these fish in my head because it was just like. I mean, it's just it, unreal. It's unreal. I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine doing that these days. And uh, I get home and, uh, you know, I've got the boat hooked up. I'm going right back the first thing in the morning. McBride calls me and he says, hey, I'm coming tonight. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And he's like, and he tried to, I wouldn't tell him. I was mad at him. And he's like, well, how did the day go? And I said, yeah, it was all right. You know, I was playing it way down. And he goes, look, I'm coming tonight. And, uh, and I was like, whatever. I said, I'm leaving here at 5 in the morning. So either you're here or you're not. I'm not waiting for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I get up. And this was when cell phones were still pretty early. You know, I'm, you know, we had them. Right, but right. It, he calls me on my landline. And he's like, I'm in Victoria. And I'm like, Mike, it's 15 till 5. And he's like, yeah. please don't go. Please, I swear I'm coming, I'm coming. Well, he pulls up in the driveway. I end up waiting for him. and uh, And just total bad form he pulls up and has got someone with him which is i'm just like and he knows me you know he it, i don't like people <laughs> when i'm fishing yeah. especially strangers where i just had one of the best days of my life right and the, the guy he had with him was uh louis bauman bauman propeller and i'd never met louis although i'd bought props from him and i just you know kind of shook my head Dang bit my, my tongue and yeah. it's like let's go and um Oh, I forgot about that part. Mike insisted on taking his boat. He had a new Pathfinder at the time. And uh, so we went down in his Pathfinder. And um, we get down there. I get the boat without a GPS, or not my stuff on a GPS. I get his boat parked where I want it. And we get out, and I say, look, this thing breaks off here. At that that year, there were these big, long, grassy fingers dropping off into water over your shoulders. Hmm. And these fish were coming out of the deep water, coming up these grass lines. And, I mean, you would throw a fat boy or really, honestly, I think I may have just been throwing an original corky. Uh, I'm almost positive I was. But you would just work the edges of these grass lines. And it was just, I mean, just crazy how fast you were catching them. And uh, so I tell Mike all that, and we get out of the boat. Mike does a 180 and goes the opposite way. And Louie and I are not out of the boat 10 minutes, and I, you know, I pop one about seven. And, uh, well, that just started it. And, I mean, it was like seven to nine pounders nonstop. Goodness. And uh, Louie caught his best fish, which I think at the time, I know he's beaten it, but at the time it was about a seven-pounder. And he yeah. was throwing a corky devil, I'll never forget, because I didn't want him to throw it because they swallow them so bad, the little ones. Yeah. And uh, But Mike had just started uh, writing for Tom Nick's Saltwater Angler. Okay, that's how far back this was. Wow. And so, and you know, we didn't have digital phones or pictures from yeah, the phones. Like camera, and right. So Mike would keep, every time I'd catch a big fish, Mike would run back to me, just cross 100 yards, don't let it go, don't let it go. Take a picture, and he'd go back to where there was no fish. <laughs> he did this all day. <laughs> and he finally just stopped coming to take pictures. He got enough. Yeah. And uh, anyway, we, we stayed up till dark, and we ended up at a, where the flat kind of meets tide gauge and uh, the, the the bait really moved up on tide gauge right as the sun was setting and it was 
if I remember right, there was a it was a it was a major we were in, and the, uh, no, it wasn't a major. It was a minor. It was a, uh, I can't remember, but it was a feed period. Yeah, and uh, Mike put on a top water, and you know the water's still pretty cold, and and he just insisted on he was going to catch one on it, and I was like, I'm still throwing a corky and catching fish, and. And finally, Mike gets an explosion like he's not had in, you know, it, you know his words. I hadn't had a fish like that in a long time. And I've got a picture of him somewhere. It's in my house fighting this fish. And, uh -huh. I mean, this thing just looked like a half a cantaloupe, you know, in his mm. mouth. It just huge trout. And I've got a picture of Mike bowed up with this fish and water splashing all oh, in it cool. and everything. Yeah, I see that. But it was, a, it was a truly epic day. And, uh, but, you know, Mike had one big bite that day and, uh, and uh, lost his big fish. And years later, he wrote an article about that day, and it, it, you know, it, it, something about eating humble pie or something like that. It was a great article, and it's it was a great memory for me to, you know, to read it. You know, like you, I love McBride to death. You know, he's he's a, he's, <laughs> he's something. He, he's just yeah. he, that guy's got so much knowledge, and uh, uh, he's such a great writer. I hate that he's not writing anymore. I know, but. Uh, He's just, he's a blast to talk to, and, uh, but that was a, that was a great day, but, you know, I kind of ran off on a tangent there, but the point being, it was about cathead, you know, mm -hmm. there were spots like that where, you know, you would want to go and be set up, but those spots have changed because of the pressure that's gotten on them. Not only the pressure it's gotten on them, but the fish that have been killed off of them. And yeah, does cathead still produce big fish? Occasionally. It's not, I mean, when there was a north wind and that water was 50 to 55 degrees, yeah, I mean, a pack of lunch, you're going to catch five or six minimum over seven pounds. It's not like that anymore. Right. Uh, the average size fish, I fish there now maybe twice a year because mm -hmm. there's always so many boats on it. If I go by it and it's a perfect conditions and there's not a single boat anywhere, I'll stop occasionally just to check it out. But it, uh, I think I caught a seven pounder on it two years ago. You know, wow. uh, one of those situations, but it's yeah. just it's just a classic example of something that's really good that's just been had too much pressure put on it yeah. and so many of the top end fish have been pulled out of it they just you know i don't know if they've i i, I kind of think in a way that they're probably still there but they've acclimated to the pressure and maybe the big ones are just mostly coming in at night and feeding mm -hmm. you know and first sound of a boat they're falling off Go that on. flat and so who knows they're fish can't see them this season, we'd like to recognize one of our newest sponsors, and that is Down South Lures. From their regular 4-inch Southern Shad to the 5-inch Supermodel and versatile 3-inch Burner Shads, it's easy to see why these baits have become a go-to for many Texas anglers. Designed with their unique hybrid tail, its natural swims-in-the-fall action produces big trout not only here in the Texas coast, but across all estuaries. Aside from that, though, they're made right here in the USA. So be sure to support this Texas brand that supports you in pursuit of that next big bite. Real Sportswear humbly started making shirts for a few local fishermen. Rooted in simplicity and utility, Real's minimalist approach is a reflection of what binds the fishing industry together. Now found throughout many coastal retailers, their lineup of comfortable and functional gear aims to make your time in the water a success. So next time you're gearing up, Wear what guides wear and consider real sportswear. Mirror Lure is an iconic inshore fishing lure company found in every angler's arsenal. 
From their legendary lineup of lures such as the Top Dog and Catch 2000 to their versatile soft plastics like the Little John and Marshmallow, these lures not only catch fish, but have produced for decades. So whether it's a 17MR or a Paul Brown Series Fatboy, always remember to tie on a mirror lure and turn on the bike. Texas Custom Lures and the original Custom Corky have been podcast sponsors for the first two seasons and we're incredibly appreciative. This Texas brand with inputs from the most respectable guides across the Texas coast complete every big trout angler's arsenal. With great fish catching colors, my personal favorites, Texas Turnip, Bay Mistress, Plum Nasty, to name a few, it's easy to see how these things produce time and time again. So next time you're targeting that next big bite, I highly encourage you to fish the original custom Corky. And remember, the big girls aren't colorblind. So Mike, I mean, when I first met him, one of the biggest things he always said is, I'm going to catch them how I want to catch them. You yeah. know, and I guess it's a classic example. <laughs> he said that that day. He'd be in a hard, a hard head, right? And yeah. just like, nope. No, he actually said to me, he said, well, we already know those are there. I'm going to go find some new ones. And I'm like, well, whatever. <laughs> I'm going to stay over here and catch these seven to nine pounders. <laughs> uh, just true McBride fashion, though. God how'd you, love him. How'd y'all, how'd y'all meet? Uh, through Trout Masters. What? Okay. Yep. All right. So let, let's go there, right? So yep. how'd you get into Trout Masters? And oh, uh, you gosh. mentioned like freshwater tournaments and stuff like that. No, not really freshwater tournaments. Um, so... I, if I'm going to talk tournaments, I'm going to go to the first one. Okay, go And I'll it. lead up to Trout okay, Masters. That's it. cool. Absolutely. Um, Tom Nix, that had the saltwater angler, and this was before McBride was even writing for him, he had the very first live weigh-in tournament of trout on the Texas coast. No kidding. It was a big deal. And uh, I'm in my 20s, and my, my best friend, a guy named David Murray, who's a game warden now, uh, he wasn't at the time. We, we fished constantly. As a matter of fact, he lived across the street. Mm-hmm. We shared a boat at one point. And um, David was a college athlete, very competitive. I'm competitive. But, you know, David saw in the magazine, he's like, hey, there's this tournament. You know, it's live release, you know. Let's fish it. And I'm like, eh, you know, I was just kind of him and all. I never fished a saltwater tournament. Although I was catching a lot of big fish, mm-hmm. you know. I had a, an assemblance of confidence, I guess. And um, so we enter it, and we go to the captain's meeting. And we get there, man. Every top-end angler on the Texas coast you can think of is there, okay? Uh, my hero, Jay Watkins, you know, he's there. Lowell was there. I think they may have been fishing together, actually. Oh, yeah. uh, Doug Bird was there. Ron Banky, the Bosky brothers from the back of Baffin. Uh, Jim Wallace was there, wow. who had set, recently set the state record. Uh, and a bunch of other people. I, I know I'm leaving a lot of names out, but I can't yeah. remember all the names, of course. And, uh, but you know, we walked into that captain's meeting. I told David A., I was like, oh, my God, what have we done? <laughs> Look at yeah. who's here. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, so we had a really we had we at the time we had we were partners on a 20v mayak with a 115 yamaha smallest boat in the tournament and uh long story short two-day tournament and we won it okay and you know it's my first saltwater tournament yeah and all these awesome just 
iconic fishermen are there and you know we pulled it off there was a bad front come in which really hurt a lot of people but it, in a way it helped us being local and um but so we we won that tournament and you know that was just you know i was just elated as a young guy would be and and i'm going off on a tangent here a little bit Go but, but i, I got to tell you a jay watkins story on this Go for it. Um, so we won the tournament, and we're on cloud nine, two young guys. David's about five years older than me. I was probably 27, 28 at the time. David's in his early 30s. And, and um, um, well, after we got the trophies and everything, Ernie Butler that uh, owned Marker 37s where the weigh-in was, he came up and congratulated us and said, man, I'm so glad to see you young guys beat all these you know, seasoned yeah. veterans. and. And we were like so excited, and nobody in the crowd really came up and thanked us, and or not thanked us—that's the wrong word. Yeah, Congratulated yeah. us. Right. I'm sorry. And uh, and I really didn't even think anything about it until after the fact. But one guy did walk up, and it was Jay Watkins, and said, "Good job, young men. That was very impressive. You know, you know, that's really cool." And that was really significant to me. Because this was really pre, I mean, uh, internet was really just getting going. And, uh, you know, where you could read fishing reports. None of that was on the internet at the time. So everything, as a young guy, you know, it was all reading. It was in Tom Nix's paper or the uh, Gulf so, Coast Connections at the time, which is Texas Saltwater Fishing Magazine now. And um, Jay... You know, being somewhat local to me, me living here, I got to read a lot of Jay's stuff. And, I mean, and Jay fished like I like to fish. So I was just reading his th stuff as much as possible, just absorbing it like a sponge, using things he said about Rockport and applying them down here. And uh, so to me, if I had a, a, a fishing hero or a mentor as a young man, even though I'd never fished with Jay, it was Jay. And, mm -hmm. uh, and Jay and I are super close friends now, as I think you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, we talk about these things all the time. And you know, and uh, but it, it meant the world to me that Watkins was the only one that came up and congratulated That's us. Amazing. Yeah. And I've never forgotten that. And um, uh, so Trout Master still had not started. And I don't want this to. I'm leading in. You, you want to know about this kind of stuff i'm leading into it and i do not mean this to sound bragging okay go for it and, and i swear people who are listening please I, it, it's not i'm just telling a story so tom moved his tournament up to port o'connor and and he was doing a baffin bash and a port o'connor bash and um david my partner he could not fish the port o'connor because he was in game warden school and uh I started fishing with a, a, a guy that I met and became really good friends with named Matt Holly, And um, we won uh, two of the Port O'Connor bashes. And Tom, I didn't realize it, but Tom got on stage and he, he said, look, I, you know, there's young guy, and he says my name. He says, you know, just out of nowhere, I've had four tournaments, and he's won three of them, him and his partner. Mm -hmm. And uh, when he put that in writing, that's what it was. He didn't say that on stage. He put it in writing, and I read that, and I was like, holy cow, maybe there's something to this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I was just completely eaten up with it at that point. And then uh, Trout Masters had probably already started, so leading into the Trout Master thing. Um, um, so started entering Trout Master tournaments, and my game warden buddy, he and I were partners fishing together. 
and we fished the first three that we fished together, all local, Corpus to Rockport. And we got our asses handed to us. I mean, we just got beat down bad, mm-hmm. and we're like, man, you know, this was humbling. But these were guys, they were coming from Galveston. I mean, I mean, you know, there's James Plog in there. There's Watkins. There's Dana Bailey. There's McBride, you yeah. know, and I didn't know any of these guys at the time. Was Doc Wright? Doc Wright? And, yep, Doc yeah. Wright, and he's part of this story I'm fixing okay, to tell. Sorry. And so after the third tournament, we're sitting in the truck, and I, I think we made a, or grabbed a beer. We weren't big drinkers, but, you know, I think we had a, a beer that we walked out of the captain's meeting with, and we're sitting there. And I told David, I was like, man, I got it figured out. He's like, what's that? I said, I know why we can't win one of these tournaments. He's like, why is that? I said, we're too damn tall. He's like, too tall? And I said, yeah, look who's winning. I said, Dr. J. Wright just ran this, won this one. I said, Plog won the one before, and Watkins won the one we first fished in. I said, none of them are 5'7". I yeah. said, we're fishing too damn deep. And, uh, and I know that sounds like a funny joke. But in a way, it's not. That's a great observation. It, in a way, it's not. Yeah. I was like, you know what? There's something to fishing shallower. I mean, we'd caught a lot of good fish shallow. But I said, there's, and honest to God, I mean, I started fishing shallower water a lot more than I, my norm because yeah. of that. I mean, it truly taught me a lesson. And, um, um, you know, I eventually won a Rockport Trout Masters as an amateur. And... Um, um, and you know, I, I was fishing all kinds of tournaments at that point. It was a lot different. And, but, um, Mc, I met McBride back to your question. We were in a weigh in one time and, um, Mike, Mike eventually won the tournament and we met at the weigh in and, and I knew who Mike was. There was a, a, one of the first fishing type forums that was on the internet was called, I think it was WMI and um doesn't exist anymore but a lot of people were on it big names mm. and uh and you could gather a lot of information that's the first time i ever saw the, the title mctrout mm-hmm. for instance and uh so i knew a little bit about mike just on that and we just happened to meet in line and his son uh brandon was fishing with him and uh brandon won the amateur and mcbride won the pro on that tournament and that was mm-hmm. the first time mike and i met and uh and it turns out we were fishing the same area he got on wmi and was saying you know staying stating that you know there was nobody around another boat at the ramp well i eventually realized who he was fishing with and i knew the guy's boat and i was back there too he went they cut through an island and i went around a point but we were basically fishing the same body of water he got them we didn't of course and uh but i had that conversation with him privately and we just started talking and and uh eventually started fishing together some and um ironically that that big fish day that i told you with mm-hmm. bride i don't know if i mentioned that that was the very first time we ever fished together and and uh, we fished a few other times one day he came down and he's like hey i want to i'm going down to kingsville he's still living in houston mm-hmm. he's gonna take a few trout to my parents and he's like, I said, well, look, I said, let's just go out locally for a little bit. And, um, you know, we'll go up here north of the bridge, easy fishing, catch easy redfish, mm-hmm. catch trout, whatever they want. And 
same deal as before. I know it sounds like we're picking on McBride, but I'm not. It's just funny stories. Well, I, know, I know y'all love each other. Yeah, we do you know love each other. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I parked the boat on the shoreline. I said, all right, the fish are this way. And he goes, well, what about this way? And I'm like, yeah, it's possible, but I'm telling you they're this way. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we go separate ways. And, uh, I, and I have an unbelievable recollection for fishing days. I mean, I can't remember where I put my keys or a phone number. But just like I'm going to tell you right now, I was throwing a bone super spook, full size. I mean, I just remember stuff like yep. this. And I got a big blow up, hit it like three times. thought for sure it was a – it never tasted the hook, so I thought for sure it was a redfish. Ended up hooking up on it, brought it in, nine-and-a-half-pound trout. It, I mean, that's right here north of the bridge. And uh, Mike's like, is that a trout? And he's hollered at me. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, don't let it go. I want a picture. <laughs> <laughs> he's writing now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, he uh, he comes over and snaps a picture. And, and, and there was a third story that I don't really recall. But I know our first three trips, I landed big fish with him. And, uh, and he was just like, what's up with this kid? Yeah, you know, because yeah, yeah. I was really young, man. I was green. But I was mad at him. I was I was young in years, but I was fishing a lot more than anybody else. Yeah, you had something to prove, right? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I, just, I was just mad. You know, I I don't know that it's something to prove. I uh, I just love to catch big fish, and yeah. you know, um, but uh, see, I'm forgetting where I was going with this. But a, a story that um, Jay actually told me about you when we did our podcast. <clears throat> together or i don't know if it was in the podcast or outside of it was i think when jay had won an event or something along those lines he said when or not necessarily maybe it wasn't a tournament or when he was doing one of his seminars or something like that and he said the first per, the person i could look down in in those seats was david rousey yeah is that is that yeah I, I I was going to Jay's seminars after I'd won tournaments. He's like, man, that guy just had like a thirst for knowledge. He was a student of the game. Yeah, good dude. Like he did it. He did things right. And like he's like, so as much of an impression that he made for you, it sounds like you know, looking back on his life is that, you know, him doing those seminars and knowing that you were there, and like soaking up that information, I think probably meant as much to him. As it did for you, you know what I'm saying. So there, you can. It's awesome to see that kind of mutual respect yeah, that you guys have. I, for each I other. wish there was more of that around. You know, this unfortunately, this this game we play is uh, not always, but there's a lot of ego in it, mm-hmm. a lot, and uh, a lot of guys have a hard time complimenting another guy, and yeah. uh, um, you know, hell, I fall guilty of that myself, but. Um, but yeah, you know, when I was early on and I'd gotten, you know, blessed from God's graces to win some tournaments as a young man, I, I was still learning. I mean, I'm 52 now. I'm still learning for mm-hmm. that matter. But uh, yeah, you know, I went to at least three of Jay's seminars in, and I'd won tournaments already. And he's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you're, you're my hero, I'm man. Learning, yeah. I'm learning. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and hell, I'd still go to him, you know. Right. But uh, Jay's such a wealth of information. I mean, he's that guy. Oh, he's unbelievable. I, I know you're not on social media much, but it was so cool. Lola and I, again, were t- kind of talking about it the other night. And so he's doing, you know, he, he does like these different Instagram videos, and he's talking about things that he's seeing. And, and that's just Jay, right? He's a teaching guide, mm-hmm. uh, ultimate teacher. And so he's up on like his burn bar, 
and he's looking over and he's like literally pointing the camera so he's not fishing doesn't have a rod or reel and he's like all right we got a grass ledge here it's a deep grass grass ledge here he's like we got a we got a you know a, a, a beach front that's facing the sun and we got sparse grass potholes on here and what ha what's happening is is like a lot of these bigger fish are pulling up on these grass flats and kind of using these little shade spots on the shallower part and then pulling back off water's clean and he's like yeah we're, I'm, I'm sight fishing a few i've seen a couple thus far you know and he's like kind of again kind of teaching people look what to look for sure shit man five pounder right in front of the boat you see him you see him you see him <laughs> and uh Lowell goes, if that ain't calling your shot, I don't know what is, you know, and, and man, just an ultimate teacher and teaching guide and doesn't mind sharing that information, which is amazing. Again, kind of in this day and age, but goes back to Lowell's original point, which again, I think is probably one of the most gangster comments is that, man, if, if you're relying on that single spot, then maybe you aren't as good as you think you are. Yeah, that's you know, that's so much truth to that that's statement. Legit. You, you have got so, to constantly think outside of the box to be to get on them every day and look i get my ass kicked like anybody else i uh, you know I, I get my butt handed to me like anybody else i mean i have tough days and uh, you know there's just some days they're just not going to feed and uh <clears throat> but you know if you understand those things like jay's talking about that structure and you know what you're just saying about lowell calling your shots some days it's that easy mm -hmm. you know you can just tell your client say you know even if they can't completely understand what you're trying to explain to them, I do this all the time. I'll cast my lure to where I want them to hit the water, and you know I'll just yank my lure out of the water, you mm -hmm. know, so I don't have a chance of catching the fish. And you know they'll cast in there and catch fish. Yeah. And I was like, you see what I'm saying now? You yeah. saw you saw where my lure landed. How's going to come down that edge? And they're like, God, it's so simple. And I'm like, it is so simple. I was like, just don't overthink it, you know. Yeah. The black grass, you know, I use this analogy a lot because like, like Watkins and Rockport, I, my favorite structure is sand and grass. Okay. Rocks are great. And I like rocks in the summertime, but day in and day out, I'm a sand and grass mud guy. And I use this analogy. Um, I have two analogies that I use explaining, you know, where the fish are going to be located to feed. And the simpler analogies, because most everybody understands golf is the fairway is the sand hole, okay? Mm -hmm. And the rough is the tall black grass where you generally do not want your lure, okay? Mm -hmm. So just like golf, you'd keep your lure in the sand hole, in the fairway, your ball in the fairway, mm -hmm. and the trout are, you know, they're gonna be trout, redfish, both. They generally get up on the side of, and it could even be a reef, whatever, on the side of that grass, use it as camouflage. They expect to get their feet, their, if, if a mullet comes over that high grass in the rough and dives down, the trout's never going to get him. He's going to lose him. Mm -hmm. But if he, that mullet comes over the sand hole or the fairway, mm -hmm. if he dives down, there's nowhere to go. The grass is real short. So they're expecting to feed in that fairway. Okay? so That's a great analogy. Yeah. And I use the same thing if you're a deer hunter, if you understand South Texas brush and a sendero. You know, you know, you can see antlers out there in the brush, but you can't tell what he is. You can't get a shot because of all the brush. Mm -hmm. You're going to get him when he gets in the clearing, which is your pothole. You know, if you just use that, either one of those analogies and make your cast like you're playing golf or shooting a deer out of a sendero, 
it's truly that easy huh. and uh once I teach people that on my boat, and, and, and I'm blessed to have some very advanced fishermen on my mm-hmm. boat, but, but I'm equally as happy getting a rookie. That's a big part of the reason I started guiding. Um, but, you know, if you explain it in terms like that to where they, they're a golfer, and, I mean, man, it just snaps. Yeah, it connects with them. It connects with them, and just by the end of the day, they're just, just smoking yeah. them. But I get so much joy out of stuff like that. So you just mentioned it, right? How you got into guiding or why you got into guiding. So how did you get into guiding and can I, can I ask that question? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Real estate appraiser, hardcore fisherman, very paranoid fisherman. I'd fish 19 out of 20 days by myself. Didn't want anybody around me. And my whole mindset back then was pretty much geared towards tournaments. And that's why I didn't want anybody with me. And I had a few trusted friends. Uh, so the funny part of the story is I tell people I started guiding out of spite. Okay. And what I mean by that is in 1995, the first of the croakers started showing up down here. And, uh, I think there were probably 30 or 40 full-time guides between here and Rockport. I mean, full-time guys that truly made a living, you know, uh, yeah. Chartering. Chartering. Yeah. Yeah. And by 2003, 2004, it had exploded to over 300 guides, all because of Croker. And um, I live here in the Bluff, and we used to go out of this CNW Marina. It's right here at Laguna Shores in uh, Yorktown. It's before Bluff's Landing existed. And there were some heavy hitter guides that came in there. I mean, very, very seasoned guides, all been around for many, many years. And uh, they had all started throwing Croker. I mean, even the guys that had had good lure reputations were mm-hmm. all throwing croaker and i was launching just about every day after work if i hadn't gone that morning i mean i was fishing it's grace yeah yeah i was fishing at least six days a week and uh but the days that i would launch in the afternoon i would get there to launch about the time they were coming in and they would have these 150 quart ice chests just full of five to seven pound trout dead you know back then it was a 10 there was uh there's no size limit other than a 15-inch minimum. There was no maximum. It was 10 per person, and the guide could keep a limit. Okay? Yep. So. Loading them up. Loading them up. And it just, um, at that point, I had already developed a deep appreciation for um, for trophy trout. And I was already, and I had been for years, releasing fish at this point. And... Uh, A buddy of mine one day was on one of the guide boats when I was launching. He was there, and he's like, God, you can't believe these fish we caught. I saw them. I'm like, I'm not going to say his name. I'm like, why do you do that? You know? I was like, what's it? And he's like, man, it's just epic. You know? I said, oh, yeah, it's epic. He caught a lot of big fish. But he said, well, I don't know how to fish with lures. And he said, nobody will teach me. And, and I was like, that's the only thing holding you back from, you know, not doing this? He goes, yeah. And I said, all right, meet me here in two days. Took him out, had a great day. He caught a bunch of fish on lures. And um, that kind of got the ball rolling in my head. And when the spiteful part of it is, you know, you know, this will piss a lot of people off, but it is what it is. You know, I, I was like, you know what? If I get a captain's license and just to start teaching people to, to fish with lures and converting them from croaker fishing, that, that was my whole goal. 
And if I can take a dollar out of the other guy's pockets by doing this, I'm going to do it just to try to educate them. And, you know, and, you know, whenever I built my website, you know, I had on there at the time 20 inch max on trout. And I never would let you keep 10 trout. I've always been five. Mm-hmm. So that was my rule on my boat. And I had very few people argue with me about it. But I was like, look, I'm the captain. It's my boat. If you don't like it, we don't go. I didn't care. I had a very good side business, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. And, um, but that is truly how I started guiding. And uh, back to tournaments, though, I'd fished so many tournaments and was blessed to win, you know, quite a few of them at that point. I already had some name recognition. Mm-hmm. And so when I hung my, my captain hat out on the hook, you know, I got a bunch of calls right off the bat. And, you know, still one of my favorite compliments is guys that I fish tournaments against are booking trips with me to fish down here. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just, I, yeah. I still love that. And uh, so anyway, it just, you know, it got to the point because I was only guiding on the weekends. And, um, but there was so much uh, interest in what I was doing that you know i would take a little bit of time off from appraising have the guys at the office do their thing and i was just reviewing appraisals and doing more fishing and yeah. some things happened in the real estate market and and that's a really long story that need to be told but i just one day you know after some prayers and guidance by god i became full-time fishing guide yeah and i've never looked back i sally and i had not been married very long and um she thought I was, she scared her to death. She's like, what are you thinking? You yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> you make great money, you make a good living. And and I'm like, it'll be fine. And it has been fine. Right. It's, I mean, very blessed. But that's that's how I got into guiding. Uh, I love guiding. It's nothing, it's not a career I ever in my wildest dreams thought I would do. Uh, I've truly fallen in love with it. Only part I don't like about it is my, my, bo- my body's not as young as my heart and mm-hmm. my mind. And, uh, you know, it's a wear and tear doing it every day. Sure. But um, um, the, the, a couple things that I've learned as a guide that I cherish deeply are the friendships I've made. Um, um, I, I've made some of my new best friends have been, or have been my clients. I mean, I just I love them to death. They come here to my home. You know, they get in my pool when they're down here. I yeah. mean, you know, not everybody's like that, but there's, you know, some that, or like that um, the other big thing that's a huge surprise to me now is uh, you know I've been blessed in my life to catch many 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 big fish and uh, I get 10 times more enjoyment out of watching my clients catch big fish and seeing their faces yeah and uh, so that's something I, I never in my wildest dreams would have thought would have happened to me because I, I was quite self-centered and greedy about my big fish mm-hmm. you know i didn't want anybody else to catch yeah. them i wanted them and uh so you know i just i guess it's just getting older and maturing just things but be- other things become more important to you in your life right. and uh so those are things that uh i cherish about guiding yeah. i love getting rookies on the boat people i don't mind if a rookie comes on the boat at all i encourage it you know my deal is only thing i ask is a good attitude and a, you know realistic expectations of your skill level and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll figure it all out during the day and if you listen we'll get you there yeah and uh i've had i mean i could name so many guys from where they started to where they are now some of them are fishing tournaments and winning tournaments 
that you know I remember you know when they started with me they they had no concept of what what the dog was I just remember the you know when I taught them yeah, you right, know right, right. and I just the memories that I've made fishing or it's a whole new class of memories that I made you know versus doing it like during tournaments or just by myself just sure. out funning around so or, or sitting in traffic on 410 yeah or sitting in traffic on that, 410 ain't no memories to be made there except mm-hmm. bad ones mm-hmm. but I think that speaks to the, your character right not only as a person but as a guide and I mean we, we just mentioned a couple names before we got started but it, you know you've been doing it so long you've you've reached the pinnacle in many arenas right tournament and guiding and everything else and and now it seems like you've even you're almost kind of guiding and educating a a younger generation of guides to again (laughs) like hey this is how you do it and this is how you do it right and and that's got to be fulfilling it is if they if they want to know uh you know a lot of them don't want to know <laughs> i mean yeah there's a i mean no that's and that's fair right some yeah. take it to heart and some don't right yeah and, and uh i'm not certainly not going to drop a name but a young man saw me at the marina the other day he's a guy that i've given trips to mm-hmm. and um he uh pulled me off to the side and he said hey if you got time let me buy you lunch one day next week and, and i'm like I said, I'm going to be out of town next week. But I said, when I get back, I said, why, what's up? And he says, I just want to talk to you about the business of guiding. <laughs> and yeah. Not the fishing, the yeah. business and, you know, how to handle clients and that sort of thing. And I tell you what, man, he doesn't know it. And if he listens to this, he'll know who he is. But it, it made my heart smile, you know. And that's something, see, a lot of people know Watkins and I are really close friends. Jay and I have not fished much together. We've only fished a handful of times together. But when I got into this business, Jay was my go-to yeah. about these very same questions. And, I mean, whatever he told me about running a guide business went to heart, and that's truly the way I run my business is based on what he said. And, I mean, maybe a couple things have been tweaked, but not much. And because, uh, you know, um, I've got a lot of young guys that, you know, it's like, man, I want to do what you do. I want to be a full-time guy. guy. And I'm like, whoop, stop. You know, it's not what you think. And they're like, well, you're successful at it. And I was like, I am successful at it. But you got to back up and look at the big picture. I didn't start green. I was like, you know, I had name recognition from tournaments, first and foremost. So you had a platform. I already had a platform. Yeah. I said, I had a real estate appraisal company. I already had some money in the bank. Very important. Second source of income. (laughs) Yes. And I was like, this was, I I said, I fully admit it. Going into guiding is a hundred times easier for David Rousey than it is for 99% of the people out there. Right. Because of those things. And I was like, you know, you know, I tell him, I said, join the military, get a plant job, do that, guide on the side, you know. And in, in your retirement or with your, you know, yep. win some tournaments, do whatever. I said, do it down the road. My situation is different than yours. And I was like, I had a lot of things, uh, like you yeah, just said, a platform. Yeah. I said, I had a really good platform set already. Yeah. So it was really easy for me. And, um, and you know, some of them are just steadfast. That's what they're going to do. And I, I'll try, I'll tell them one other thing that I'm, all of my young friends that are really good fishermen, you know, that say they want to be a guide. I'm like, look, tell me this. I said, how many rich, retired fishing guys do you know of? And they'll look at me. 
And they're like, uh, none. I go, exactly. And I was like, I was like, I'm as busy as I want to be. And I promise you, I'm not rich. You mm-hmm. know, they're yeah. like, but you know, you got this and you don't worry about that. It's like, dude, I just told you the story. Yeah. There's a reason that I'm where I'm at. And it's not all because of fishing. Cause I just started up green one day. Right. It doesn't work like that. So uh, there, you know, but anyway, back to Jay, but you know, he answered a lot of questions for me and uh, you know, he told me some really important details about guiding and handling clients and, so I'm forever grateful. So now that a young man's asked me that, it just, like I said, made my heart smile because I'll have the opportunity, and it's not the first time, but I love to be able to pass that on to somebody. If it's going to help them and benefit them, I mean, I'm, I'm so much more comfortable now at 52 giving away information. I'm not near as secretive anymore. I mean, <clears throat> I'm not going to throw you a dart and tell you where I'm fishing in that morning. Yeah, I'll gladly tell you what I'm catching them on. I'll tell you what kind of structure I'm catching them on. I will give. Yeah. 80% of the solution. I, yeah, yeah. I'll give guys that, you know, they ask me, I'll give it to them. Uh, so, you know, that's one of the things that's just been so different as a guide that I never thought it'd be the person. I never thought I would be this person in my younger life. Right. Is to be so free with the information and, you know, try to help people out. And, uh, Jay's overboard with it. You know, he's got that, that fishing club, and, you know, he, he, he throws darts. I mean, he yeah. tells them exactly what he's doing. This this base system down here, there's a lot of water, but there's not a lot of fishing water, if that makes sense. Yep. And so it's real easy to get crowded down here. So mm-hmm. you, you just you can't afford to give away the – or give the information up like Jay does yeah. in, his, in his fishing club. Everyone want to thank you again for listening to Part 1 with Captain David Rousey. Next episode, part two of our conversation, is going to release next week uh, on Wednesday. And so when you hear this, it's going to be basically the following week. And so we explore a little bit more into conservation and his thoughts into that, uh, as well as some advice for upcoming guides and how he um, provides that advice to uh, younger guides in the fleet. And so if you've enjoyed part one, we really appreciate it. I hope you enjoy part two. And so stick around when it releases. And until the next time, guys, tight lines, God bless. And always remember, take what you need and release the rest. God bless. Mm-hmm.